We're live. What are you going to tell us about tonight, Tyler? Absolutely, Dave. Welcome to Climbing the Pocket Mondays, where we turn your Mondays purple. Tonight, we are going to be discussing the narrow victory for the Minnesota Vikings over the Carolina Panthers. We're going to talk about the state of this team moving into the gauntlet that is the next five games, what they need to focus on in the bye week, uh, some uh, discussion on the coaching, and we're also going to talk about our players of the week. So stay tuned where this is Purple Monday. In a world where Mondays can be black, but turn to purple, join Climbing the Pocket and Daily Norseman Productions as they present CTP Monday. He's like unlucky. That's, uh, he's going to... Yeah, uh, Gabe Henderson said it. Gabe Henderson said what? This is Patrick Peterson's first time missing games due to injury. That's wild. All right, That's Dave. Why? Right, That's what he's like a 10 year vet, nine year vet. I've got a rollout, but the roll in well, didn't play properly. We tried again. All right. Well, you know Hold what? On. We're going to treat this like In a Viking second half collapse. We're going to rebound. All right. Stop working. Join. Dave, just punt it. It's I okay. just punted it. It didn't we're going to treat this like a Viking second half collapse, and then we're going to rebound for the victory, just like we <laughs> had the last two weeks. My name is Tyler Fornis. I am your co host tonight. <laughs> With me, as always, is Deshaun and Dave in the truck producing. Gentlemen, we're three and three. How are we feeling? Playoff time, baby. That's how I'm feeling right now. <laughs> hey, you know what? That, we're going to need some optimism. No, um, it was. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, I mean, it was like a good game in some parts, and parts it was just like, what do you do? It was like the perfect mix of like we're finally playing better, and we're just doing the same old like. It was it was such a weird game. We scored like two first two second half touchdowns though. That was that was exciting. We got two Not of those. Two to Sean. Oh, I, was it was it two? So, or was uh, it three? Well, uh, I think it was three. Well, if you don't if you don't count overtime, I think it was two. Okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was it was Dalvin and then it was Thielen, and there might have been another one. I don't know. And then Osborne. But so anyway, we, we have... scored points in the second half. Yeah. That's crazy. Absolutely. And, uh, and then Osborne for the win. Yeah, that's going to kind of be a big talking point here tonight uh, for kind of like the state of the offense because we saw some good things. We saw some things that weren't necessarily as good. So we're going to kind of get into that. But first, Deshaun, let's start with kind of the big news of the day, and that is Patrick Peterson being placed on IR. Now, he was diagnosed early with cramps, but it turns out he has a much worse hamstring injury, which can be relatively normal because cramps and hamstring injuries, uh, when the cramp is in the hamstring, can feel the same initially. So Deshaun, kind of what place does that put us in as far as moving forward? So it puts an incredible amount of pressure on the offense to come out of the bye kind of just firing. So kind of we we thought that the offense where they should be with the amount of talent that they have is going to be this work in progress. But now they kind of have to come out the bye week 
with their stuff together already because now you put Tam- Camera Dancer out there and yeah, he had that one bad snap against Immor where it basically allowed the Panthers to stay inside the game. Dancer just, at this moment in his career, Dancer isn't Patrick Peterson. Patrick Peterson has been doing a fantastic job all year long. He really was shutting down one side of the field. And when you lose that against teams like the Cowboys, against Lamar Jackson, who's now throwing the ball very well, against the Chargers and against, I think, I can't remember what our fourth game is. But when you lose something like that against three really good quarterbacks, your defense is going to suffer big time. So we have to lean on our offense a tad bit more to keep us in these games. And we'll see what happens with that. I mean, we scored 34 points against a defense that's pretty solid. We don't play another defense that good for a while. So hopefully this offense can put together more 30-plus point games. I, absolutely. The loss of Peterson is massive, as you alluded to. And this offense, let's kind of roll into that here. This offense had a very interesting day because I think that there were a lot of really good things. One, Kirk Cousins has been on fire uh, at the at the end game situation. All like of the six games that we played in, five of them have come down to the last drive, and Kirk has played lights out in those five games. He deserves all the credit. Going into the season, he was not very good in those situations. As our friends at Purple Daily have talked about numerous times. Pass rating isn't necessarily the greatest barometer uh, for quarterback stats, but he was 45th in pass rating in those situations. And you can kind of extrapolate from just the eye test that he he wasn't very good in those situations for a multitude of reasons. Probably about 50% is just him. And this season, it's he's flipped the script. He's been fantastic. And there really has been no qualms about it. You could talk about some of the time management stuff and settling for longer field goals when you're not trying to move the ball forward. And we've parsed that discussion out already, but Kirk Cousins has been great. The offensive line had some, uh, some good, some bad. And then the receivers were lights out. Um, Deshaun, what were the things that you really liked to see here this uh, Sunday against the Panthers on the offensive side? It, it seems like when things were clicking, they were all clicking. And we just had we had some we had some plays where the ex- the execution just wasn't there. Um, I remember that tossback screen to Dalvin Cook. If Christian Jarosaw just pays attention, that play probably goes for fifty yards. Fantastic play call was set up perfectly. Jarosaw just didn't execute it very well. Uh, we had like another big play that was called back for a hold. Um, it looks like this offense is finally starting to get it together. They just have to execute better in, you know, all three phases. Um, offensive line played great. Um, and the Panthers are a solid defensive line. They have two good ed rushers. They have a pretty okay interior, and we held up pretty good. So I think we tied their least amount of pressures in the season. I think they were averaging like, like almost 20, like 18, 19, 20 a game, and we held them to eight. So offensive line came out, played well. Christian Derisaw looked fantastic to be a rookie, which is crazy. I mean, Hassan Riddick is like, he's like your like your baseline, like NFL edge. He's going to get you sometimes. He's not always going to get you. But for Derisaw to almost push him out completely, he had one sack. But Kirk Cousins decided 
to be Lamar Jackson for a play and break a tackle and run for like 16 yards, but for him to almost shut out a player like Hassan Riddick and to do so well against Brian Burns, it bodes super well for the future. The Vikings have had trouble getting interior players, but you're just, if you have those two tackles on the outside, we know how good Brian O'Neill is. If Chris Darisol can continue to get better, you are setting yourself up to have a pretty solid offensive line for the next uh, seven, eight years. So that was probably the most exciting me yesterday was to just not hear his name, you know, no penalties. Just uh, he had that one play that we shared in the group chat where he decided on uh, CJ Ham's run. So mm-hmm. that was good. After waiting to see if he's, Super exciting. I think that's uh, another thing that's going to kind of project this offense, propel this offense to hopefully be scoring 30 points a game because that's where this offense should be. We are entirely too talented with the emergence of KJ Wright. We've been saying it forever with the wide receiver three, with JJ playing out of his mind, with Thielen as good as he's ever been, and with Dalvin Cook just being Dalvin Cook. This offense needs to score 30 points a game. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. The offensive line is now playing well enough for them to do that. And I'd like to see it a couple games in a row. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I, I tweeted out during the game a little bit of an overreaction, but it kind of holds true that this offensive unit is one of the worst in the league relative to the talent that it has on the unit. Because as you said, Deshaun, this unit is incredibly talented that you have a top 10, top 15 quarterback, depending on who you talk to in Kirk Cousins. You have a top three running back in Dalvin Cook. You have two top 15 receivers with Thielen and uh, Jefferson. And then you have KJ Osborne, who's emerging. He's probably a top 15 wide receiver three in the league. That uh, You have Tyler Conklin, who stepped up really big in the absence of Irv Smith Jr., who was primed to be a top 10 tight end here this year. And you finally have bookend tackles. You have capable interior play which is really all you need and when you kind of combine all of that and then the performance that we have seen so far this season it's it hasn't lived up to the expectations that this team on offense should have because of the talent and the cohesion that this group does possess and it was frustrating to watch hey we're just i have trust in these wide receivers but we weren't pushing the ball downfield and so many times that, like, I, I will say they did push the ball more downfield this week, which was awesome to see. But then later on in the game, they kind of regressed back to the mean, and it was a little frustrating. Kirk has always had a tendency to not push the ball where it's not wide open. And we've seen that constantly, and we see him uh, take the safe route, which is understandable. It's fine. But at some point with this talent and these players, you got to take those shots. And he took a few of them today. That KJ Osborne throw was absolutely beautiful. He was open. He was not wide open. And he laid a dime, and that ended up winning us a football game. We see that Kirk Cousins. The end-of-game Kirk Cousins more consistently throughout the game. Look at that fantastic, fantastic mock-up by Dave. That no, that's such a good graphic. Oh, I like that. Oh, that's beautiful. Um if we see more of that from Kirk Cousins, this is a top five offense in the National Football League. They're going to live up and maybe even exceed expectations. But if you're not getting that consistently, what do you have? You have what you saw at in the fourth quarter before the Panthers tied the game. That offense where it's conservative, we're going to hand the ball off, we're going to do a little dink and dunk. We're not going to try to win the football game. 
we're going to try to hold Pat and then let the defense take over where in 2021, you have to be more aggressive and you have to be willing to take those kind of shots. So whatever Kirk Cousins shows up, I think is going to be the direction of this offense moving forward. If it's conservative, Kirk, we're in trouble. If it's Kirk Cousins, hey, I have something to prove. I have a chip on my shoulder and I'm going to whip the ball around. This team has a shot to make a playoff run. But that's the problem. We're not getting any kind of consistency from this group. And some, a lot of it has to do with Clint Kubiak. But it's, they're showing signs of improvement. For me, that's promising. Yeah, and I said that this improving the offense is probably, of, of, of all the things that we can fix with this team, improving the offense should be the most within our power to do because the talent is already there. You just got to get them open and get them playing. And we're seeing more so that Cousins is just giving Justin Jefferson a chance to make a play. We've seen it a few times, and I want to say maybe like six, seven, eight times in the last two weeks where Cousins is just throwing a deep ball to Justin Jefferson. I think he did it four times last game and it was one third down there was one third down throw where i was like i was like that's a terrible throw why would you throw it and caught it anyway so mm-hmm. we're starting to see kirk push it just a tad bit more because he's starting to figure out that justin jefferson is just that good so mm-hmm. the defense that we are playing coming up are not fantastic i was looking at it I was looking at it today. I can't remember the specific stats, but I might have tweeted it out. I might not have. But the Dallas Cowboys defense, you can work around that. They give up – I think they give up almost 30 points to the Patriots and Mac Jones. Mac Jones is a more conservative Kirk Cousins, and they gave up 30 points to Mac jo- almost 30 points to Mac Jones. We have the Ravens defense that kind of lacks talent. They uh, beat up on the Chargers, man. So those guys can play. But they usually give up a ton of points and a ton of yards. And then I keep from I keep forgetting who that third game is. I can't remember if it's the Chargers or so we play Cowboys, Ravens. Who's that it's week nine game? Or that week yeah, we the, the Chargers. The Chargers Packers, have the worst Niners. run defense. Ah, whew. Chargers have the worst run defense in the NFL. Um, and I think the Packers are still deciding whether Jair Alexander is going to have season-ending shoulder surgery. So, and even with Jair Alexander, that's Packers defense is still suspect. So we're playing four teams that we can put up 30 points on, and we probably should put up 30 points on. So this offense is going to have a chance, definitely going to have a chance. And like you said, we only are going to go as far as Kirk Cousins can take us. Maybe except for the Chargers game where they're like the absolute worst front defense in the NFL. We might see Cook go for like 200, but we're only going to go as far as Kirk goes us. If we get conservative Cousins, we're going to lose because we are playing teams that do not go away easy. The Cowboys play all four quarters. They finish games. The Ravens play all four quarters plus more. (laughs) And then Mm -hmm. the Chargers they the Chargers go for it on fourth down and get it like nobody I've ever seen ever. And then you have Aaron Rodgers. So these offenses that we are facing, unfortunately, are teams that play from whistle to whistle, quarter to quarter. The defense is going to give up points. It's a given. It's the new NFL. You're playing four fantastic quarterbacks. Cousins has to go out there and be better than them. 
or at the very least keep up, and then you have a Daniil Hunter make a play at the end of the game. I think the one thing that really intrigues me about the Cowboys game, and we're going to really dive into that next week because we're not going to have anything really to talk about other than bye week stuff. Uh, the Cowboys' defense is incredibly aggressive, and that's one of the reasons why they give up so many points. That's why they gave up that 75-yard touchdown to Kendrick Bourne at the end of that game on Sunday because Trevon Diggs knew he had a safety over the top, so he tried undercutting the route. The man has seven interceptions this year, so you you give him a pass on that because he's been very successful, but it's just like Marcus Peters. You have to take the good with the bad. You're going to get some of those plays, but even if with him undercutting and missing, the safety was in absolutely atrocious position. If he's in a standard position, it's a 20, 25-yard gain. Okay, no harm, no foul. We'll get him next play. And then you have Randy Gregory, uh, who's been a revolution on the edge, finally clean, staying on the field, not suspended, and he's figured out how to be an elite pass rusher like everybody thought he could be coming out of Nebraska. And then Osa Odigizua, somebody that we talked about on this show leading up to the draft. Uh, he was a very good player. I thought the Vikings would want to take a look at him in round four because of his length, his athleticism, his overall size. Thought he could be a great three-tech. Well, the Cowboys took him, and he's been a great three-tech, five-tech for them. And as a third-round pick, that looks to be, at with early returns, the steal of the draft for the Dallas Cowboys. But because they play that all-in, all-out aggressive style, you can beat it, but you also have to be careful and you have to be really pinpoint accurate to make sure that you don't have Trevon Diggs undercutting a route and taking it to the house because he did that against Mac Jones. Yeah, Mac Jones is one of the safer QBs in the league. And so, yeah, and the, the, I think what, what it is for the Dallas Cowboys is they don't have <clears> – <throat> they have those players, but they don't really have the talent to hold teams if they were to play regularly. So they play this aggressive style. And I like it. Don't get me wrong. Like, Trevon Diggs is so – he's so excited. Like, I don't even mind that he, like, gives up the most yards in the league for a cornerback. It's whatever. I don't care. This man has seven interceptions and 14 points. Who cares? But that's going to be a matchup, man. Diggs versus Jefferson. I like fully expect Jefferson to go for like 150 and then Trayvon Diggs get like this weird pick at the end that like kills our chances. But the Dallas Cowboys, that is going to be such an interesting game because I just feel like, I don't know, like going into that game, they're five and one. We've been struggling. It feels like we should have like no chance to win this game, but like we don't match up terribly to them now i don't know something that might be a thing to watch is michael michael gallup went out the first week of the season he's a very good wide receiver three for that team if he comes back our corners (laughs) our Mm -hmm. corners are gonna have a hard time covering them that Offensive line is solid. It's been falling apart a tad bit recently. It's but it's solid enough to get Dak. And Dak's been playing out of his mind. Dak Prescott is playing like an elite quarterback. So that's an, it's going to be such an interesting matchup. It's like Dave said, twenty first ranked PFF defense. They give up plays, they but they make plays. It's a matchup that's winnable, but. I don't know, man. As of right now, I'm just like, it's a toss-up. It really is. It's a toss-up. They're 5-1. and one. They're a good football team. Um, but one thing I did see, and you always want to win a football game. You always want to win. But 
Dallas is in firm control of their division. The Vikings don't have to win this game. The it's not the season's not like downhill over if they lose this game. Of course, you don't want to go into Baltimore having to play probably the MVP of football right now. I don't think there's a player in the league playing better than Lamar Jackson. Maybe Kyler Murray, maybe, but Lamar Jackson is playing out of his mind. Probably going to win MVP again. You don't want to go in there three and four because this man is just magic. So. They don't, they don't have to win that game because Dallas is probably going to win their division, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I think the one thing that we kind of uh, project out here for the next few games is the fact that all of these guys are mobile quarterbacks that are a genuine threat to run the football, especially when you talk about Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, and even Dak Prescott. Like These guys are runners of the football. They're not just – like Kirk is a guy who can run. He has the capability to pick up like a first down. He has a capability, hey, you're just going to keep biting on the run, so I'm just going to take this read option and I'm going to take it 10 yards. He has that capability, but that's not his bread and butter. Lamar's bread and butter is running the football and slinging it downfield. Justin Herbert at Oregon, and he's done a little bit of this in the NFL, but he's been much more of a passer, read option, than being able to capitalize off of that. Dak Prescott, the same thing. So when you have these guys who are great out of structure – who are capable runners, like this is how what Mike Zimmer thrives against. That he is really good at keeping people corralled in the pocket, playing contain, getting a pass rush, and just trusting his guys in coverage. There's a reason why Aaron Rodgers, I believe, has a losing record against Mike Zimmer. It's because of stuff like that. He's able to contain great quarterbacks. And I'm really intrigued to see how Zimmer matches up against these guys. We did not face Lamar Jackson the last time we played this Ravens team in 2017. It was Joe Flacco, and it was, quite frankly, a domination. And we're going to face a run-oriented offense, gap power, and they're just going to bully you up front, and Lamar's going to pick you apart down the field. That's going to be a very, very interesting matchup for how Zimmer wants to play him. Are you, you going to just try and take away the run and tell Lamar you got to beat you through the air? Or are you just going to kind of take a balanced approach and we're going to try and play both and just man on man who best wins. Like that's good. That I agree with you, John. I think that's more of a pivotal game um, because if you don't beat Lamar, regardless of what happens against Dallas, like yeah, that's going to be really tough because you're going to go into LA and you're going to face Justin Herbert, who in my opinion is the MVP of the NFL because without Justin Herbert, that team's like, one and five. Like the defense is playing <laughs> awful. You talked about them being the worst rush defense in the league. They are not scheming for success. They are just kind of having Justin Herbert bail them out constantly. So if you stop Herbert, you stop that team easily. But it's also easier said than done. Got Cleveland's defense off 47 points to the Chargers just two weeks ago. And this game, this set of games is going to be really interesting. It's going to tell us what team this is. Are we contenders? Are we pretenders? And I think we're going to know real quick what the answer is. Yeah, real fast. There's going to be no... The thing about the first three games, there was a lot left up to interpretation because of how it went. Uh, The Bengals are 4-2 and now, so I guess I got to take back my take that they suck, unfortunately. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And then the Cardinals... 
<laughs> so then the Cardinals, we lost two by three points. And then like the Browns, we lost two by seven points. And all those teams look like they're going to be in the playoffs. So there was kind of a little bit left to, up to interpretation whether this is like this team sucks or they just like right there and they just need a little bit more to get over the hump. There will be nothing left up to interpretation after this next four games. We will know for sure. Like, we will have a definitive answer of what this team is. Unfortunately, you won't have Patrick Peterson, who is arguably behind, like, Kendricks and Hunter. He's arguably your best defensive player. You won't have him. That sucks. You have a promising young corner. He has to step up. You got to go out there and play the game. So we'll see what happens. Um, I think in best-case scenario is you come out of this 2-2. and Um. You want to beat the – so it's, uh, it's Dallas, Ravens, Chargers, Packers. You want to beat the Packers, of course. And then maybe you want to try to steal one from the Chargers. Beating Deck Prescott and Lamar Jackson right now, I just don't see it, man. I just – I love this team so much. I'm going to be at that Ravens game. I might have to wear my Lamar jersey underneath <laughs> my Jefferson jersey in case <laughs> things get out of hand. But uh, – <laughs> I just uh, I don't see it, man. I don't. There's no defense in the NFL that can contain Lamar Jackson. I mean, every time the Ravens are in a close game, it's because Lamar Jackson is not playing his best. It's because he's either fumbling the ball away, which he has a ton of this season for some reason. He has like eight or nine fumbles already this season. Um, and I do see that that Dak was diagnosed with a calf strain, and we'll have to see how bad that is because Kareem Hunt. I believe was also diagnosed with a calf strain and he ended up going on injured reserve. So we'll have to see what happens to Dak Prescott. I, uh, I was going to say the difference between what I've heard is yeah, Dax is relatively minor and he would have been able to continue to play through it. Kareem Hunts was much more, uh, much closer to a tear than a strain. So I, I think, uh, I think there are some differences. I wouldn't worry uh, as Dave says in the comments about Lamar being in a walking boot. They put these guys in walking boots for literally just about anything related to foot, ankle, or lower leg. Like that's just standard operating procedure. Um, Mike McCarthy said that Dak would have continued to play if necessary. So I would, I yeah, I yeah. think we need to prepare. Like Dak Prescott is the quarterback on Halloween. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even if it was like grade one, grade two. Unless he like if Dak Prescott, if he could walk, I was he'd probably be in the game. Um, maybe it'll limit him a little bit physically. Who knows? But um, yeah, man, we'll have to see. That's a, that's a, that is a tough row of games, but offensively, I think the best part is offensively. We can handle it. None of these teams are playing complete games on both sides of the balls. Consistently. The Ravens gave up ton of points to the Colts. They probably should have lost that game, but Blankenship was injured. He ended up, ended up missing two kicks. Uh, Chargers just got spanked. And the Cowboys are giving up a lot of points on defense. So good thing is. And then the Packers, have uh, their defense is their defense. It's always been kind of bad. But none of these teams are playing these complete games. They don't look unbeatable. So it's, it's going to be any given Sunday for the next four weeks of the season. All these teams present to be better than us. But we got to go out there, play our game, and come away with a win. I agree completely. And let's kind of transition over to something that I, I've been really hammering home uh, over the course of this season is that the Vikings need to be more aggressive. They need to take they need to take fourth downs. 
They need to take two-point conversions. They need to try and win the football game. And this was a tale of two games almost for the Minnesota Vikings because through the third quarter, they were more aggressive. They went for two twice. They tried to take advantage to get more points on the board. I was disappointed with the two uh, fourth down field goals inside the 10. Um, That is debatable. Um, And I think we'll end up talking about there here in a little bit. I was for it. You were against it kind of based on game flow. Uh, But my biggest frustration was once you got into the fourth quarter, all of that aggressiveness that you showed early kind of disappeared. And you weren't actively trying to win the football game. You were actively trying to escape the football game. Like Sam Darnold was playing bad. So why not put a dagger in him? Why not just be like, hey, we're not even going to give you a chance to throw a 40-yard fourth and down to Ian Thomas down the seam, which Ian Thomas has done nothing his entire career. That's probably his highlight. Like, that, that's frustrating. And then just settling for that field goal in fourth quarter, and he missed uh, not trying to actively be more aggressive down the field at times, which I we were better to, on Sunday than we have been so far this year. So, But I feel like there's just so much more that this team can do. And having Zimmer kind of pull the rug out from under him with some of those calls at the end of the game the, and just the conservativeness. And Mary said it right there. You could feel the difference. And I completely agree. You know, sometimes it's about understanding game flow and analytics. Sometimes it's just about knowing, hey, I can put the nail in the coffin on these guys. I need to make sure I do that so they don't come back. Um, Deshaun, let's kind of talk through this a little bit because everybody knows how I feel about this aggressiveness. You have agreed with me at times and you have disagreed. Um, let's kind of start from the beginning. Uh, talk to me about your opinion on why you would not have gone for those fourth downs inside the 10, because the analytics are going to say you need to go for it. Uh, based on kind of how the game is played today, you can argue that you need to go for it. Why wouldn't you want to go for it based on how the game was playing out? I think my biggest thing was that at that moment in time, even though, even though the Vikings were moved, they had, they had got into the tent twice. I just, the confidence didn't feel like it was there for that team. They had to convert multiple third downs. They were kind of dinking and dunking down the field a little bit. It wasn't like they were like big chunks, like they're really beating this defense. I feel like they were dinking and dunking a little bit. They were kind of getting there here and there. The confidence didn't feel like it was there for them to go for two the, for go or go for the fourth downs. Um, the play calling was like solid, but the execution was so iffy that I, at that point it felt like you, you just needed to get points on the board because Sam Darnold is playing horribly, but we keep giving him the ball back. We gave Sam Darnold had so many chances and he eventually cashed in on that last drive, which was that last drive was insane. Like it was completely different than the entire game. So we gave we gave Sam Darnold entirely too many chances to, you know get his stuff together and for the receivers to stop dropping passes. But at that time in the game, I think it was more important than just getting points on the board. Because if you go for it on fourth down and you don't get it, that's kind of like completely demoralizing to the entire team. It's kind of takes the win out of the team and it gives the Panthers some unnecessary momentum. The two fourth, the, now the two failed conversion attempts. I don't mind those. I would have done the same thing. I would have went for two twice. Because, you know, you just want to get back into that 
that normal game flow where you're up by seven, but not up by like six or five. So I don't mind those. I would definitely, I would not have gone for it the third time when they kicked the extra point. After two failed attempts, I'm just like, I just kind of kind of need my points now, man. Like we we failed it twice. It's whatever we're calling is not working. And what sucks is I didn't mind that shotgun run because we had the matchup pretty well. But I think one of the offensive linemen got blown back. It might have been Ezra Cleveland or it might have been Brian O'Neill and and Dalvin ended up having to bounce it. And he actually almost got there. But for some odd reason. The Panthers were tackling so well that game. I mean, Dalvin made a few guys miss, but they were tackling so well. They were just like shoestringing everybody. I've never seen a team tackle like that before. But um, it's 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 a lot about games. Now, one thing that I adamantly disagree with, I did not like that punt at the end that gave them the ball back. And they, they even though they ended up getting the ball at like the six or whatever. I did not like that punt at all. I mean, mm-hmm. what they were in they were in Panther territory, right? They were at like the 45 or something like that. It was like yeah, the 50 uh, or like the 40. It was yeah, close. Were, it was like they were in it was field like, goal range for Greg Joseph. I think at that point it would have been like a 55-yard field goal going into that third down and then they ran with Dalvin. He lost yardage and then they ended up punting where instead of trying to like, hey, let's try and complete a pass a few yards downfield, make it a little easier or get the first down. They decided to just settle and let let Dalvin just do whatever he can and then just live with the consequences. And I, I'm with you. That was very frustrating. That is the moment yeah, that, was that separates that separates the good teams from the bad teams. That separates Andy Reid in the divisional round last year with Chad Henney on fourth and one to seal the game. He throws that little flare out to Tyreek Hill, and that's it. Like Those kind of confident calls are what separates this team from being re- – I average to good to potentially great. And I'm with you. That was, that was a very frustrating one. There were other ones that I also disagreed with that. And I think those, those uh, first quarter inside the 10 ones, as much as I agree that you should go for it and put, uh, put the pedal to the metal and just try and put them away early. I can understand the offense was in a weird spot at that point. They were clicking but they weren't because they were still moving the ball down the field, but it just felt like, like there was a, a piston misfiring in the engine. Like it right, was like getting there, like really but it was struggling. Yeah, it was, it felt ugly. It felt like watching like Iowa play like Michigan in like 1995, <laughs> where they're just going to hit each other. And then but who's Oklahoma drill. Who's going to move first? Like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough because you want to parse out analytics with game flow because they, they both can be really important. And like we talked about after that Arizona game, how there were all six fourth down punts. The Vikings were, should have gone for it based on the numbers. Well, three of them were like toss ups and you probably punt on all three of those because they're like inside the 10, inside the 25 games tied. Like those make sense. But then it's the ones where it's like, hey, we can really put a number on these guys. Let's let's tw- let's twist the knife. We don't do that, and I think that's my biggest frustration. And and you got you agreed with the the punt at the end of the game, like twist the knife. You have it in there. They're dead to rights. Finish it. And or at least luckily, like at least like Greg kick it again. I mean, we've seen him make those kicks. I mean, though he didn't miss it. I mean, we see him make the kicks, and at the mm-hmm. very least. Let Greg try it again. Because, I mean, your defense is playing well. 
Um, they ended up giving like a 96-yard drive anyway. You have time on the clock. Your offense is actually in rhythm and moving the football. I mean, if if you kick and you miss, worst comes to worst, you get the ball back, and Kirk Cousins has been clutch, and you go win the game. I mean, you get the ball in your hands, in control of the game, if things actually do end up going wrong. So I do think that punt was a little too safe. And we end up kind of end up paying for it with Patrick Peterson getting injured on like the third or fourth play of that drive. And we end up giving the touchdown. But I, I think I saw Phil Mackey tweeted, like, if you're trusting your defense, I mean, try something and then put them out there to bail you out. And mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to see because I but one thing I will say is that Mike Zimmer is progressively getting better with those. And he's like. He's progressing through the season and he's taking in the account of what's happened games before and kind of we're seeing him try to get a little a little bit more aggressive or maybe a little bit more analytical and we'll see. But I think he'll well, he would want to have that that punt back too, just because of what happened afterwards. Mm-hmm. Now uh, I want to pose this question to you because it was mentioned uh, by our own uh, Drew Mahowald who. Uh, is the co-host of the Unbelievable Podcast on uh, the Daily Norseman and Climbing the Pocket Network. Uh, he said that he was very confused by Mike Zimmer and these aggressive play calls because it doesn't seem like there's any kind of trend. It just seems like he is using his gut 100%, and I think there's some truth to that. Like, Is he actually learning from the analytics, or is he just understanding that, hey, analytics guys just say go for it, and then using his gut to just make that call? on it on a play-by-play basis yeah mike zimmer is a gut guy 100 percent. mike zimmer is 1000 percent a gut guy mike zimmer doesn't look at computers and say that whole like like the cowboy the cowboy twitter account mike zimmer probably has them blocked like there is like there is no way he's looking at computers he's like he's probably just sitting there talking on a sign like hey man should we go for this and everybody's just kind of like chiming in like yeah man sure why not so like um, they do so. They at least they kind of in situation make sense. At least we're not getting like these weird like like fourth down that he's going for it or kicking these like odd field goals from like sixty yards or something like that. They mm-hmm. te- they make some sort of sense, but I do. They're like super inconsistent, um, and they do seem like they're more tailored to game flow and how things are going. Um, so like if the offense is not playing well or it's not playing as good as it should be, you can like a hundred percent guarantee Mike Zimmer is not going to go for it. But if they're firing and if there's some momentum, he seems to be, it seems like Mike Zimmer is a big momentum guy. It's more like if, if things mm-hmm. seem to be going well for one side of the football, he'll give that side of the football a little bit more leeway to do things. So it looked like, like yesterday when the defense was controlling the game, he set them up to succeed. Unfortunately, they did not succeed, and the offense ended up winning the game. But it seems like he's like really big on like momentum and how the game is going on when he's making his decisions. No, I think you're 100 percent right. I think he is kind of uh, in that way, um, and it's very frustrating because you don't want your coach to be going straight up gut feel. Like, hey, maybe you have a gut feel. Like, you know what? My team is just crushing it. I know they can get this. Let's let's go get it. But I feel like then one of the reasons why I always talk about process is because if you utilize great process, you're going to end up getting great results. Are you going to hit every time? Absolutely not. You know, one of the like every team has thresholds with draft prospects that kind of correlate it to something a little different. 
And when, and with those thresholds, you're trying to get a prototype. The Vikings are trying to find the next Daniel Hunter. They're trying to find a guy with high upside traits that you can get at a value spot. And they took that shot with Janarius Robinson. So we're going to see how he progresses over the next couple of years because he's on IR for the season, so we won't get to see him. But you have those thresholds because, hey, I know this will this works. I just need to find it again. And they're still trying to replicate what they have with Daniil Hunter. Well, when you utilize that process, you're going to get great results. It's not going to hit every single time, but you're, it's going to work. So fourth and short, you believe your team is going to take care of it? Once you get past a certain point in the field, let's let's call it your own forty. All right, your own forty and on. You have you trust your defense, trust your offense to go take care of it, and then oh, they got stopped. Well, your defense you can fall back on and be like, hey, I know they're going to help bail me out. You know, I I wish he had some kind of consistency with that, and it doesn't even have to be analytically based. It can just be like, I know I can trust my team, and you feel like. Oh, football guy like Mike Zimmer because he's like the footballist of football-y guys. Like he, <laughs> he is he is a Bill Parcells protege. That's a football guy right there. You think a football guy would embrace analytics because it basically tells you how to be a better football guy. Like, hey, these numbers back up what you're doing. Like it it, it yeah, feels I, that analytics I don't know if you're so, gonna like you're not going to get Mike Zimmer to listen to a bunch of computer nerds, man. It's just not going to happen. This is the first time you mentioned anything about numbers. It seems like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to hear nothing about that. <laughs> no, you're probably right. He, hate, like, he hates PFF. It's, it's the funniest thing ever. Does <laughs> not to Mike Zimmer, PFF man. You, more than, does he, he hate PFF more than Chris Thomason, though? Uh, man, that's a tie. That's a tough one. No, yeah. I think Chris is. Nah, I don't think I don't think so, man. Chris has a special place in Mike Zimmer's heart, man. <laughs> 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 I really hope that once Zimmer is no longer the coach of this team for whatever reason, he calls Chris Thomason, flies him out to the ranch, and then they sit and have a couple glasses of red wine, and he just unleashes a tirade in the middle of the discussion. Be like, "What's going on?" Like, this is how you made me feel for seven plus years, buddy. <laughs> like, you, that would just be all timer stuff right there. But like I, I think we're kind of in lockstep here. We, we want to see more consistency with some of these decisions. We want to see there having been thought to decisions like, like, hey, I'm driving home from work. Oh, there's a McDonald's. Well, I guess I'm having McDonald's for dinner tonight. No, have a plan. Have an understanding of what you're going to do and why you're going to do it. And I think if we can That's achieve like that me, in some form. Oh, trust me. <laughs> I have had too much McDonald's in my life. Uh, but if we can get some kind of consistency from Mike Zimmer, which we almost saw yesterday, we were very close to seeing it. if we can get that, then we're going to be sitting in a really good spot. Yeah, man, I agree. Well, uh, but we'll have to say, I mean, I think just, and the, with the teams that are coming up, it's going to call for him to be more aggressive. He's not going to have a choice. It's the teams that we are playing coming up are going to put him in a position to be more aggressive where he's not going to have a choice where he's going to, he knows he's going to have to score points to beat these teams. And I think Patrick Peterson is going to be the catalyst for that. Cause I think if you have Patrick Peterson in the game, you're probably limiting to the Cowboys. You, you might be able to limit to the Cowboys to like 27 points, maybe. Maybe the Chargers, the Ravens. You might be able to limit all these teams on 30. But without, Pat, without Patrick Peterson, you're going to have to be aggressive. You just you don't get a choice in the matter. And now we get to see if Mike Zimmer is going to do what he needs to do. 
Because the last thing we need to see is Mike Zimmer do something conservative and not play to the end of the fourth quarter. And then one of these amazing young quarterbacks comes back and, you know, makes him pay for it. And I can already see it happening. I can, I can see it already. No, I a hundred percent agree. I'm really intrigued to see what kind of run Harrison hand gets. If he's going to get more than just some dime looks, because I know a friend of the network, uh, Luke Braun, who also locked on Vikings was really high on Harrison hand in the off season when he was breaking down film from 2020. And I thought that he could be a guy that really contributes early on the season, but he really hasn't got that chance. And then he was just on the COVID list. So I'm interested to see what for the second time. Yeah, I know. Um, it's I'm going to be really interested to see what happens with him and how Mike Zimmer schemes. Is he going to be just as aggressive as he was with his coverages? Is he going to uh, go back to a cover two shell and pretend that these guys are just from Seven Eleven? Like Zimmer, how Zimmer handles this is going to be very intriguing for how much confidence he really has in this defense. I can definitely, yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just I was just going to move on to the next point, but go on ahead. You yes, you got something. Well, I I think I think defensively you're going to see us be a lot more conservative. I think we're going to he's what he's going to do is try to force these guys into playing perfectly because there's these four guys like to take big shots. Mm-hmm. Except for Rodgers. Rodgers is probably one of the, the the only quarterbacks that will take what you give him and just destroy you all game with it. Lamar. Especially Herbert. Herbert has this massive arm. He loves to use it. Dak and um, why am I forgetting somebody? Lamar, Dak, and Herbert. Those guys like to take chances. They're not, they're not going to mm-hmm. settle for the dink and dunk. They're going to test you. And I think that Mike Zimmer is going to play conservative, and he's going to make them play like veteran quarterbacks and not let them push the ball down the field. That's what I would imagine he would do. Uh, try to make them one-dimensional. You're getting Michael Pierce back. Uh, you, you're you're facing four teams that actually have solid run games. I mean, the Chargers have Austin Eckler. I don't re- they don't really use him like a regular running back, but four teams that have pretty solid run games, you're getting Michael Pierce back. So that's big. Anthony Barr has been solid. I think he's going to really play just, you know, the 7-11 cover two show, cover four a little bit, and force the quarterbacks to take underneath, let his linebackers play, does not get beat deep. And I think that definitely Cam and Dancer getting beat by DJ Moore is going to put a scar on Mike Zimmer, and he's going to play super conservative coming out of bye on defense. I'm with you. I think he's going to play more conservative, and I'm really intrigued to see if he goes straight cover two or not. But we're getting low on time, Deshaun. Um, what I want to do right now is I want to kind of hit on some points that we really want to see improvement in, in the bye week, and I'll start with you. Uh, what do you really want to see coming out of the bye week from this team? We, I think the number one thing, well, outside of offensive consistency, because we talked about that all show, we have to find another edge rusher. We are running Everson Griffin into the ground. Um, he's played almost either over or almost 150 snaps in the last three weeks, which is way over what they wanted. I think they wanted him at about 90 in a three-week span. So he's about, what, 60, 70 snaps over. So he's playing, and the thing is, he's playing good. He's playing so much better than the next guy, it's almost impossible to not put him out there. But they've, gave, they've, they've given DJ Wanham chances. I think DJ Wanham has close to, like, what, like, almost 300 snaps on a season, like probably like 230 or something like that. And he has like a 1.2% pass rush win rate and like two stops. 
Uh, Steven Weatherly is not getting many snaps, probably for obvious reasons. I think we have to just see what we have in Patrick Jones. Obviously, those guys know more than we do. They see him in practice. They just need to get someone else going because they just cannot continue to rely on Hunter and uh, Griffin. Now, we've seen Armand Watts come on as of late. Six pressures and a sack, and I think like four or five stops in his last two games. He's been playing extremely well. Dalvin Thomason has come on as late as of late as a pass rusher. Uh, James Lynch is doing okay as a run run stuffer, and it might be time to try to unleash Sheldon Richardson a little bit. He did pretty well against the Panthers. Maybe put him on the edge, or maybe try to get him in more pass pass rush heavy situations. Mike Zimmer has done a fantastic job, probably the best in the league by far this year with manufacturing pressures from blitzes. It's been absolutely beautiful. The work he's done with these blitzes is like, it's insane. Like I've, I haven't seen it before. So he'll have to continue to do that. But at some point in time, you just need your players to win. And we're missing just one guy, which is unfortunate that you're literally just missing that one guy, one more guy that averages like three to four pressures a game that just makes the quarterback uncomfortable. Um, I did think about maybe if they would be willing to make a move at a deadline, but I think with the whole Chris Herndon thing, I doubt it. Um, a name that kind of popped up in my head was Josh Allen from the Jaguars, but because he's uh, the Jaguars are they're the Jaguars are the Jaguars and he's like, he's like 16th in the league in pressures. He has a new contract coming up relatively soon, but who knows? But that is going to be my main thing is finding another pass rusher to take a little bit of pressure off of Everson Griffin. Cause we don't want to see him burnt out by week nine. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be interesting to see Sheldon Richardson start at that uh, five technique spot opposite to Neil Hunter and just let him be your first and second down guy. And you can maneuver him inside for third downs because it, he's a very athletic guy for three technique and he he can set the edge. Just let him set the edge, just plow right into the tackle and try and figure, figure out pass rush there. I mean, Zimmer has already used him on the outside on occasion. Why not make it permanent while you figure out what you have with these guys? Cause I think you're right. Like we don't see Patrick Jones in practice. I think you need to at least try and rotate him in. Like it's, he was considered pro ready. He was a guy that could come in and be a rotational pass rusher right away without a whole lot of training, without a whole lot of development. So the fact that he's not playing, it really is a surprise to me. And it, it kind of speaks volumes either of Zimmer being conservative with rookies, which he's tended to do, leaned more on the, hey, I don't want to ruin him side than, hey, we're going to get him experience on the fly side. But it's, with the lack of success there, I'm really surprised they haven't at least given him a decent look. I think it's, and I hope it's this. I'm hoping that Patrick Jones is not like horrible, but I think it's more so they're not ready to give up on DJ Wanham yet. Because, I mean, they're like, the snaps are like heavily in Wanham's favor. So I think in the last mm-hmm. game, Weatherly, Weatherly has played like 20 snaps combined in the last couple of games, and they continue to put DJ Wanham out there. And I think they did, they just want to see something out of him and are just like not ready to give up on him yet. And I think that's why Patrick Jones continues to be inactive. Cause I mean, if you take, if you're, you have to sit an edge, if you want Patrick Jones active and it's like, who do you take out the game? I mean, for us, it's obvious that you, you know, I mean, Weatherly or Wanham, you, know, you got to sit one of those two guys. I mean, Wanham is not putting up numbers and then Weatherly's not really getting the chance to do anything, but 
I think what they're afraid of is just starting this guy out there with no experience and then having to play him more than what you want to. But I mean, when you're not getting anything out of Wanda and Weatherly, is there really, are you really risking anything at that point? But I'm hoping that's what it is, is that they're just still trying to see DJ do something. He did something against the, uh, the lions, but then again, it's the lions and they were missing like their entire offensive line. So yeah, so yeah, he's like DJ has what like four times the snaps almost. So it's like you gotta mm-hmm. at some point, at some point, the DJ experiment has to be over. You're six weeks into the season. He's not. I think you're six weeks into the season, and he has like seven pressures. So, yeah. and most of them, I think like only like two or three of them were not manufactured. So at some point, you have to give up and start to look for something that's going to make the team better. I agree. And speaking of making the team better. One thing I want to see is I want to see improvement from the interior. Uh, we saw a – it felt like a revolution having a really good interior line for the first few weeks. And then the game against the Browns happened, and we kind of regressed back to the mean. Ole Udo had a really rough game yesterday. Chris uh, Garrett Bradbury continues to get forklifted. Guy was a pro-ready center, and he keeps getting forklifted in his third year. Like I want to see improvement out of those guys. I think Ezra Cleveland's been mostly fine. I mean, I haven't had really many issues with Ezra Cleveland in comparison to the other two. And I think if he's going to keep getting better considering he's back on the left side. But if the if you have Bradbury or Udo continue to struggle, I think you need to really consider Mason or yeah, Mason Cole and Wyatt Davis. Uh if you traded a sixth round for, rounder for Cole, you have Wyatt Davis who you drafted right. in the third round to be your starter. If these guys continue to struggle, I think you have to consider making the switch at one or both spots. And we need to see improvement from the interior because I think the more improvement you have in the offensive line, the more willingness you're, we're going to see from Kirk cousins to be pushing the ball down the field, taking those deep shots and not necessarily checking down. If we have better protection, he's going to have more confidence because Kirk cousins is a very confident kind of player. When, when he's feeling confident, he is as good as it gets, but when he's not, it's evident and it shows up on the field. So I'm very, very bullish on the fact that I need to see improvement from the interior line because we have our bookend tackles. We have them. I was very high on Derisaw coming out. He in one game against Hassan Reddick and Brian Burns. We heard Brian Burns' name once, and that was on that last drive where Kirk Cousins evaded him and ran for a first down. That was the only time we heard Burns' name all game. And that's a testament to Brian O'Neill and Christian Derrissaw. Like, but we have to keep shoring up that interior. And if they're not performing, got to replace them. Uh, so they're not. So I think they're not playing bad enough. Now, Ali Udo, his those penalties, man, those penalties are killer, and they have to. You just you have to do away with those. He's holding entirely too much. I think he's he's getting out of position a lot. Is what we're seeing is that. But as far as like pass blocking goes, Bradbury's playing pretty well. He's only he's giving up an average of two pressures a game over the last three or four. I think since the even I think during the Browns the Browns debacle, he only gave up like a pressure or two. I think since. Uh, I'm trying to go off the top of my head. A week like since like week two, where he had kind of like a really bad game, or week no, it was week one, week one where he had a really really bad game. He's only given up like mm-hmm. two or one a game since then. So Bradbury is actually playing pretty consistently. 
Udo is the one that's been kind of up and down. He had a really bad game against the Browns. I know you have Wyatt Davis like in the wing and waiting, but as of right now, your offensive line just went out there and I don't want to say manhandled because I mean, Dalvin Cook like very quietly went for 140 Sunday. I mean, so I mean, you obviously you were having some success, and then CJ Ham had that thirty yard run. So obviously you were having some kind of success running the football. That was a pretty. I mean, outside of the holding penalties, that was a pretty good performance by the offensive line. So as of right now, I think they're going to look to build on on that. But I do, I do agree with you that the leash should be short, and don't I don't want them to like the offensive line. The the, the team gets a tendency to get like attached to guys or feel like they owe them something. And we saw that where Dozier, where they let him start the entire season where they, they had Udo waiting and like ready to play. You have Wyatt Davis, you have Mason Cole. If you feel like those guys can be better, like get them in the lineup. It can also be a cohesion thing. Um, and I also, when it comes to adjusting things at the line, Bradbury is not very good at that. He, he doesn't do a great mm-hmm. job of it. He's very, He's very like 50-50 with him. Like if he sees something, he won't always adjust it. And that's something that you need from him. I think it you're more so looking for cohesion than all guys being really good. And they're getting to the point where they're getting that complete cohesion. Because in the run game, Udo and O'Neal are great. And then you saw in the run game on Sunday, Cleveland Derisaw were doing very good. So We'll see what ha- what happens. I don't see anybody getting replaced anytime soon because, frankly, this will probably end up being the best offensive line we've had since what since Kirk Cousins signed since 2017 or these guys probably are- since uh, Steve Hutchinson left the franchise, which is which is awful that we sucked that mm-hmm. long. But uh, yeah, it's just like. They're playing well. We'll see. Yeah, huge shout out to coaching. Um, what's that guy's name? I don't know. I can't remember no, his Rauscher. name, which is kind of Rauscher. doing a fantastic job. Absolutely great. It's insane how well he is doing. We've been missing this for who knows how long. And apparently the coach, the answer was on the on the you know, the coaching staff the whole time. We just needed someone to refuse their COVID vaccine. And here we go. A good offensive line. So <laughs> yeah, uh, they get another test. They get another test with Osa has 19 pressures in six or seven games, which is difficult for a rookie. He's a rookie defensive interiors. As we saw, we see defensive interiors as rookies come out and struggle. This guy is coming out. He's doing fantastic early. That's going to be a really big match for uh, Bradbury and Cleveland to see if they can handle him. And then we get to judge from there on out. And then we get to play Clayus Campbell, another match. Uh, we get to play Linval Joseph, Clinton Clark. So, We'll we're definitely be able to see progression for these guys in the next upcoming four game, which is good. I feel like this entire team as a whole is going to get tested at all three phases, and we'll really get to see if, if guys are playing or not. Yeah, I, I the cohesion element I think is very is a very good point. Um, but as we're winding down here, we still got to get our players of the game, and then we got to uh, talk about the great shows coming up here this week. During the bye week, uh, climbing the pocket in the Daily Norseman. Uh, Deshaun, who's your player of the week this week? Uh, uh, it's an obvious one, man. Christian Darisol came out, 
showed out. It's just after weeks and weeks and multiple montages and meme compilations and uh, that Benny music that Luke Bryan loves to use. <laughs> he loves the <laughs> Benny Hill music. Um, we just saw Darisol get. We saw Hill get put on his butt week after week after week. I forgot that you were allowed to have strength as a left tackle, and we just saw Darisol stonewalling people. Guys were coming after him, at him, and he like he like wasn't even moving. And I didn't realize he was that strong. He doesn't he doesn't look that big on camera, but this man is massive. Like I didn't realize how big he was. Like he made guys look small. He looked he made Riddick and Burns look small. And he did a fantastic job. And I hope he can really continue to do well. And the thing, I think the most important thing is that it wasn't just in one phase. He did well in both. He did run blocking well. He did pass blocking well in his first career start. That is I really I just can't think of a better way. I mean, like, that's almost like Rashawn Slater-ish. Because like Slater came out and was fantastic right away. And Darasol almost kind of did the same thing. I mean, Brian Burns and Riddick, they, these are not slouches. These are guys who get eight, nine, ten sacks mm-hmm. a year, and he held them to one pressure combined. So Hey man, Darisol, fantastic performance. I don't think any Vikings fan could ask for anything more. It's exactly what we wanted. It was it was great. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Darisol was fantastic. Um, and I, I, you're right. There really is nothing else you can say about him other than keep your eyes forward and don't have a mental lapse on a screen. That was about the only negative. You got <laughs> yeah, beat yeah. by Brian. You, you got beat by Brian Burns once. There's no shame in getting beat by Brian Burns. So um, right. my player of the game is that yeah, I kind of debated between a few guys and I'm going to give my player of the game to uh, Adam Thielen and Thielen after not really having a great week last week, only seeing three official targets with one of them uh, coming from or being called back because of penalty. He showed out. He got himself open. He got himself in space. He caught that really nice touchdown that uh, was a little reminiscent of the t- if at least for me, the touchdown he had week two against the Packers, the tie. Oh, like yeah. Just tight corner, window, the pylon, tight window. Kirk is just like, I know Thielen's going to get it, and he just fired it in. Like, it was great stuff. Thielen's demise, it, it, if there is one, is not here yet. He is still a great receiver. He has all the veteran savvy, and his athleticism really hasn't taken a sharp decline, which – is great because that means Thielen is still a top 15 wide receiver in the National Football League. And this pairing is really, really, really good. And Kirk needs to keep feeding these guys the ball. Get them. Joseph Herndon got a touchdown. He caught his first pass as a Viking. He had no mistakes, which is all very good. But we're not going to give love to a guy that probably shouldn't be on this football team right now because it was a panic trade. And we can fully admit that now based on everything going wrong. Daniel, Kirk is starting to really trust these guys. It's showing. I hope it continues because we've seen spells where Kirk doesn't trust anybody and he needs wide open or it's a check down. So consistency is going to be really key with this team. And moving forward, that's what we need. Uh, Dave from the truck. Wait, one more time. I think we have to do we have to do an honorable mention, man. KJ. All right. KJ was oh, yeah. down. Honorable mention, man. That that was some good stuff. He tossed the helmet. I saw what happened to the helmet. It looked like he hit the guy in the purple. He didn't. Conklin caught it. He should be more careful with his helmet tosses. That was kind of dangerous. But hey, 
That was yeah. a great way to walk off. I mean, two weeks in a row, we're walking off. Fantastic stuff. Yeah. Dave, what do we got coming up forward this week here on the Climbing the Pocket YouTube channel? Well, this week's going to be a little different. We do have In the Huddle tomorrow night. As scheduled, your favorite Climbing the Pocket personalities will be here. Wednesday is still up in the air. Thursday is on the buy. Saturday is on the buy. Um, but we might squeeze some other stuff in on top of that. So stay tuned. It will be posted on Twitter and Facebook as normal. And you can join us any day. And you can always contact us on either spot. And we'll gladly talk Vikings football. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And with that in mind, next week we will not have a bye. We will be here ready to roll. We're going to talk Dallas Cowboys. There is a chance we will have a special guest on Monday. So keep keep tuned there. Uh, from Dave and Deshaun, I am Tyler, and we are here to keep your Mondays purple. Thank you very much for watching. Have a wonderful night. Go Vikings! Bye, Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell. And if you're listening on your favorite aggregator, make sure you rate us. And always feel free to join the conversation here at Climbing the Pocket.